get right back to what we were talking about last week, uh, continuing to talk about how to respond to the struggles that people are in in, in their grief and depression process. And tonight we want to get to some really meaty parts. Uh, welcoming my wife sitting next to me, for those of y'all that are watching us live online. Hi! <laughs> And uh, glad to be back with you again. Uh, and uh, I, I know sometimes you, you may, those of you that, kind of, that sometimes watch us from time to time, you may wonder why in the world would a ministry be getting into this type of discussion? Why would you be getting into talking about grief and depression and the way people think and all of that when for a lot of time, for many of us in our traditions and in our churches, the way we dealt with it was, well, we're going to call a prayer line, or we're just going to ask people to pray, and we expect, you know, the hands are going to be laid on the person or the individual, we're going to all gather and pray, and uh, and shouldn't we expect it to all change from there? And I'll respond to you this way, absolutely, we are people of prayer. I don't want to minimize that at all. But what I've learned is when we're in prayer, God will speak words of wisdom. Mm -hmm. He will give us the response. In other words, um, I've, and, and it's really true, prayer changes things. Um, but it's not just prayer. It's not only a petitioning of God uh, for him to do stuff for us. Prayer is actually a conversation. And in the conversation with us talking to God, God's going to talk back. And what I've learned is God will give us wisdom in how to deal with the situation, the individual, the person. Sometimes we want prayer to just simply be, I ask God for something and God gives me the answer. But how many of you found out that a lot of times God won't just simply give us the answer. He will give us the process that will take us to the answer. <laughs> um, a lot of in, in having prayer for grief with, for a person who's dealing with grief, yeah. that prayer can take care of a spirit of grief yeah. that is um, oppressing a person. Yeah. So you can be delivered from that spirit of grief yeah. but you you still have to go through a process yeah. of dealing with the loss the, the person the loss that the they loss. had in their life and, and in that process what um what god will be doing is like we talked about before he will be providing consolation he will yeah. send people into your life that will help yeah. to facilitate the process of consolation, yeah. taking away the, the, the feeling of, of the sense of loss, loss, the feeling of loss. Oh, wow. See why I like her. <laughs> <laughs> that is so on point, and that's really it. So I want us to, I guess what we're getting at is, is uh, and I guess I'm dealing with what I perceive will be a challenge that you as ready responders will get from time to time. There will be people who may approach you and say, well, why don't we just pray about it? I don't see why you guys want to go through all this talking about grief and depression and walking people through a process. Why can't we just pray about it and then that's oh, it's over with? Um, and the, our, what we're responding with is, what is your understanding of prayer? That's where you would need to go with that person. What do you really understand prayer to be? Because if you have the proper understanding of prayer, you'll know why we're going through this. And you were talking about expectation. That is an unrealistic expectation that grief is just something you just get over it is not yeah and it doesn't mean that that person is not receiving your prayers because they're still going through their process it doesn't mean that they're in in, uh, in doubt it doesn't mean that they don't have any faith this is part of it it is the word of the lord said that jesus he he uh he uh he has borne our griefs carried our sorrows so and that we don't have a high priest who doesn't? Who cannot uh, be touched, be with, touched the with the feelings, feelings, feelings of our infirmities? But was at all points tempted or or tested, yeah. just like we are, yes. to uh, respond in the feelings and only stay there. Right. And I believe as ready responders, healthy ready responders, we are able to walk people through their process. Because how many times have we actually been here, even ourselves? We asked for prayer for a particular crises we were going through in our life. 
the church people, everybody gathered around us. They laid hands on us. They prayed and prophesied and spoke over us, and we felt great in the moment. Mm -hmm. And when we got home, and you still have to live through the process of that loss. Many of us felt like it must be something wrong with me because I'm still struggling. Uh, I had everybody to pray for me. I felt better. Uh, I felt the burden lift. Then why do I still have these waves of sadness that comes over me sometimes? Why do I find myself crying all over again? Um, why do I keep, you know, keep cycling back through this? Does this mean I don't have any faith? Does that mean that the prayer didn't do any good? Does it mean no? No. All we're saying is, if you have an understanding of of uh, the grieving process, if you're understanding of depression, then the enemy can't deceive you into right. thinking that God hasn't delivered you. Right. He can't deceive you into thinking you don't have any faith. You understand this is just part of the process of. Uh, uh, not my spirit, but my soul, my emotions, and my mind. Because my spirit, which is joined to the spirit of God, it's healed. Mm -hmm. It's free. It's, deli it's delivered. But the rest of me has to catch up to that reality. <laughs> and while the rest of me is catching up, it doesn't. It, it has a healthy way in which it is to come come to that healing. Right. That way. When you come to the, I won't even call it the end of the process, but when you come to the point of acceptance and a level of healing where you are now able to help someone else, you are not, you didn't heal crooked. You didn't come to the wrong conclusion. Uh, I can tell you that many, many people have come to the wrong conclusions regarding these issues of grief and loss and depression because I hear it in their theology. I hear it in the way they talk about God. Mm -hmm. They say such things as when, for instance, if a loved one, if someone dies, if there's a death in a family, they say such things as God won't put on you more than what you can bear. Mm -hmm. That tells me you didn't heal properly. That tells me that you still think that what the enemy stole from you, because Jesus said it's, the thief who comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And because you didn't heal properly, you still think that was an act of God. And so when you try to comfort somebody else, you take a portion of scripture and give it a meaning that that's not what it meant. That ain't what it said, and it's not what it meant. And that tells me you did not go through the grieving process uh, uh, in a healthy way. You still don't understand what really has happened in your life. You did not have someone to navigate you through it. It's almost like having a, uh, a physician uh, who let you treat yourself, medicate yourself. And now you've come to the end and you've come to a point of, ex you know, because even that's part of the grieving process. You come to a point of acceptance. But everybody's acceptance isn't at a healthy place. What are you accepting? What are you accepting? Um, yes, uh, death is a part of life. It's a part of our existence. But when you come to the conclusion of death, that this is, uh, especially when it's a loved one who wasn't saved, and, and when it's horrible, tragic things, and you've assigned... What you heard some preachers say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away and blessed be the name of the Lord. And how they take things that Job said and things that Abraham said and things that different uh, men of God said in the word. But they pulled that scripture out of context to make it fit a traditional saying that we all say at a funeral rather than what the scripture actually meant. And therefore, in an entire family, all those people sitting on those first five, six rows of the church were then handed something out of context. And now they come to a point of acceptance in their grief, and it's unhealthy. And so they live their lives constantly afraid that God is going to take somebody else from me. 
God's going to kill. God's going to steal. God's going to destroy. And he's doing it all to test me to see if I've got what it takes to make it into heaven. Now, am I right, y'all? That's right. That's what's been communicated. Mm -hmm. No one ever says it in a clear, concise way that I just did now. But what are you left with when that's what was said at the funeral? And we say these phrases during the sermons and my family and friends and everybody says God won't put on you more than so you begin to kind of piece this all together. And what conclusion do you have that God is just up there throwing stuff at us and testing us to see if we can make it if we can make it to the end. And so we stand up and we testify. And at the end of every testimony, we say to all of our family and friends and church and everybody, pray for me, saints, that uh, that the Lord will Give me the strength to make it through these last and evil days because I'm determined that I'm going to make it to see what the end's going to be. That's why I'm Cheryl. Say, why did Chris and Carol get into all this talk like we do about being a ready responder? Because our theology, when we hear what we actually believe, I'm telling you, it is a result of having improperly uh, come to places of acceptance in our grieving process. I also think it's this is a part of the renewing of your mind. Yeah. So many things have been taught errantly so that now we are having to put things back into proper perspective and back into God's perspective. Yeah. So this is a part of the renewing of our minds. Don't you love this? Come on, bless the Lord. <laughs> Now we can see why it, it, it can take, it can, and we decided we're just going to take our time going through this, but you can see why it would take so long to teach, uh, um, you know, ready, uh, train, retrain leaders in what we're really supposed to be teaching and telling people. Not only are we up against and warring against bad, errant doctrine, but we're up against mentality and systems of thought that we even had. Taking a hold Me and Mom were right. talking about that on our way here to tonight. Me and Mom always have these conversations before we. <laughs> um, she said, "You, you have how did she? How do you put it? That you've been taught these things wrong for so long." She said, "It becomes part of your DNA." Yes, that's so true. And you, she said, and she said, and even when you find the the truth and you know and freedom. She said, you still feel convicted mm -hmm. when you don't do things the way that you was originally taught. Mm -hmm. You truth. feel this sense of, I must be doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. When you really aren't. It's just that you were always taught that that was wrong for so long that even now when you're right, you feel like, <laughs> I must be doing something wrong. And this is one of those key areas. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's, when you hear us talking about this particular one so strongly, because we're really not sure if many uh, pastors and leaders, not just pastors, but really school teachers, educators, politicians, if we really understand the depth of loss in people's lives, that they don't just get over it in three weeks or three months. And we're looking at families that have been torn apart as a direct result of not knowing how to handle the loss, the losses that they've had. It has caused, I believe, this is just one of my personal beliefs, that a huge part of divorce has been because neither the husband or the wife knew how to handle the losses in their life. And when you come together with another person who don't know how to handle losses, then the two of you are looking to each other to help. I'm, I thought right. when I got married, you would be the one to help, to help me, me process. <laughs> and they're like, help you. Help me. Help me. <laughs> not to mention the, the not, even in not knowing how to deal with the loss, you're not, you'll fight and yeah. not be fighting about what is the actual What's the root. real fight, yeah. What the real, yeah, what yeah. the real fight is. You're not yeah. even attacking the root of the problem. And you can't because you, your feelings are out here. Mm -hmm. uh, 
all those different pictures of expectations oh that you God. had about marriage and relationship. Yeah. You yeah. were supposed to understand. Yeah. <laughs> you were supposed to. You right. were supposed to know that when I, when I said this, it, it meant that. that. Right. When I did ESD. this, it meant that. And right. they're like, no, you no. were supposed to know. You were supposed to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> And that's just between a husband and wife. Just think about what goes on between school teachers and parents. Between the principal and the teachers. When you start applying this everywhere, then between a pastor and his elders or her elders or between the elders and the congregation. Nobody knowing how to deal with loss. And so we just cover it over with scriptures out of context. Well, just work. Keep working. Keep pressing. Yeah. And then when scriptures really don't line up and what you said, that's really not from the way. And then you've got those people like you, you begin to question. Because mm -hmm. right. what you're saying when you teach. No, that's not really what that's saying. That when I read it, that that's not what I read. What you're saying. Mm -hmm. And then because of the see, now you're the ones that need to just shut up because we done built this whole system <laughs> off of scriptures out of context mm -hmm. and if you come along and pull the one little card yeah. that drops this whole thing <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna cost all of us a whole bunch of money Ooh, money members so yes i do know that this scripture is out of context but we wrote the book based upon scripture out of context. <laughs> the blue book. So, do you expect us to go back and rewrite the book just because you got some questions? That ain't going to happen. So, what we're trying to do is we're going to start with what we have in here now. We're going to get some scriptures back in context and we're going to also deal with these realities that people are hurting yes. and people don't get over their hurt in three three weeks or three months yes there are some things that God does come in and do we've heard yes. the testimonies of people who got instantly delivered of alcohol instantly delivered of their drug addiction instantly healed in their physical bodies go ahead uh, I'm when I, I started thinking about that's because they receive the truth about their issue. Yes. They ex, they believed God. They yeah. believed his word about what was going on in their lives yeah. to even cause that addiction. That addiction. Because the truth does set people, people free. free. That's yeah. it. Come on, bless the Lord. <laughs> so I want you to hear what she's saying. I mean, we're not nowhere near what we're planning on saying tonight, but you know, it's okay. <laughs> They received the truth about what God said about their life. And it brought about the physical mm -hmm. manifestation. manifestation, maybe in their addiction, something that was going on in their physical body. And I think that what has happened is we have preached the physical deliverance without connecting it with the truth that this person received. Without, without connecting it with the word, the truth that they receive. Wow. That's an aspect. Um, I'm thinking of the man who they tore through the roof and uh, lowered him down and Jesus told him, son, your, your sins are forgiven. And of course, the religious folks gives <laughs> you the authority to think you can forgive people's sins. Well, well I do have the authority to forgive, to forgive sins. But, you know, I can heal him. I could have could have just said, "Rise, take up your bed, and walk," and all that. But he said, "But so that you can know that I have the I have the authority to forgive sins. Take up your bed and walk. You're forgiven. See that? But the man's healing was connected with knowing that he was forgiven, which tells you his disease, his disorder, was connected to a sin issue. He needed to have received forgiveness, and when he received your sins are forgiven now take up your bed and walk and we've been wanting to just jump right in and say take up your bed and walk in the name of Jesus without dealing with we don't even, we don't even hardly anybody even preach about sin anymore these days 
that's a rare thing to actually talk about. You need to, you need to repent. You need to repent, change your, you need a renewing of your mind. And I guess I share this also because a lot of what you, Carol and I share uh, and talk about, people can think that all this life coaching is about just building people's uh, 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 thoughts and making them feel good about themselves. Yeah. No, we're talking about dealing with the actual issues in your life, the loss, mm -hmm. sin, death, bad decisions, all of that. <laughs> we're not just simply preaching a good message that you can live a good life. No, our coaching deals with the root, the root cause. Why? What brought you to the place where you are? What brought you there? Bless the Lord. Come on, thank you, Lord. So we just needed to share that kind of just lay a quick foundation. Yeah. <laughs> Bless the Lord. Hey, Gwen. Just saw Gwen, Gwen is watching. <laughs> so now we want to move on to talking about some of the symptoms of depression. Uh, uh, to help us understand depression, uh, we're going to look at, at, at this explanation that was presented by Dr. Chris Thurman uh, from the uh, uh, from the instructional production video from American Association of Christian Counselors. Now, he they talked about the ABCs of depression, and believers, believe me, many many believers need to understand depression so that you know that it's not just people walking around sad. Right. When you hear uh, issues of depression it is real people of God it's real it's not just man and human beings uh, just making up an excuse for people to stay in their sin depression is a real thing and it's not just emotional please please hear me it is it's not just an emotion it is a real physical physiological issue so we have to understand the ABCs of depression. And that, and by the ABCs, we mean the effect. A is effect, B is the behavior, and C is the cognition. So we'll get right into it. Go ahead, dear. Uh, effect, for under effect, there are persistent periods or feelings of sadness, yeah. hopelessness, and discouragement. So that's the effect of depression. Right. You can feel sad. You can yes. be sad. Yeah. And they do feel hopeless. Yeah. And they do feel discouragement. Hold on, because I know you want to jump straight into, well, just pray for them. They need prayer. They do. But we need to understand. That's why I'm saying this. We, as leaders, leaders in our homes, I really say this because there are many parents, uh, your children may be dealing with depression. And I know you're trying to just talk it away, even pray it away. And I don't say that to minimize prayer, but you need to have an understanding what hap what's happening with your child so that when they don't readily respond after you pray, then you get a better understanding that this isn't just an emotional thing with your child. The effects of depression is sadness, hopelessness, and discouragement. They are having thoughts, but it has to do with something that's physiologically happening in their brain and in their body. The next is behavior. You've probably seen this behavior connected right. to depression. Uh, there are behavioral changes that are experienced, and they may include appetite changes. <laughs> yeah. You'll see um, uh, weight loss or weight gain. Yeah. There are sleep disturbances. Um, there may be insomnia, insomnia, not able to sleep at all. Uh, early morning awakening, um, not being able to sleep through the night. You keep waking up, go to sleep, waking up, going back to sleep. Yeah. Or oversleeping. Yeah. Constantly sleeping. <laughs> Parents, hear me clearly. Uh, sometimes you, uh, uh, there have been situations that we have run into where parents didn't uh, were fussing at their kids because of their sleep pattern. So really think about it. What's been going on in your life and in your home and in your family? I say this especially to single moms. You know, you may have been looking at the sleep pattern change in your son or your daughter. Don't just fuss at them because they're oversleeping. Find out what's or, going on or, in their head. Or staying, or constantly waking up through Ask the night. Questions. Ask questions. You really got to get in there because sometimes in because of the hectic, hecticness of your life right. and the pressure that's already on, on you, yes. you just want your kids to just behave 
and to make and, a and, life a little you know, easier. You know, please, you know, just obey. Do what I'm telling you to do, yeah. and you could be dealing with a child that this is a behavioral pattern of depression because right. of the separation between their parents. Not having both parents. And I'm speaking that even to folks in the room here, you may have been, you may remember back when your parents separated going through this yourself, but you didn't have nobody there to process you through the changes in your, you know, the sadness, the hopelessness, the discouragement, and you didn't have nobody processing. You didn't know why your appetite was changing, why you was eating more or not hungry at all. You didn't, you didn't know why you couldn't sleep or you were sleeping all the time. There wasn't nobody there. I'm still thinking about it, especially through the 70s and the 80s. There wasn't nobody there. There wasn't nobody talking like this at church. They just told you to come get prayer. Come get prayer. <laughs> and then you felt bad because nothing changed after they prayed for you. You continue to not be able to sleep or to sleep all the time. You continue to not have, eat a whole lot or not eat at all. You continue. Go ahead. The next yeah. one. Uh, the next one is psychometer retardation. There, you feel slowed down. Yeah. You, um, you can't uh, grab thoughts. You can't grab words that you're trying to say. You can't remember. Yeah. Um, you slow down. Uh, you forget things. Yeah. Woo. Mm -hmm. And think about all of the children. I go back to children again. Mm -hmm. Think about all of the children that are struggling in school. And there are, I'm not going to say no teachers recognize, many teachers, they recognize uh, the pattern changes in their students. They know, because they've been through it themselves, that when families were in crises, they saw the symptoms all over their students. Wasn't much that they could do about it because they've got a curriculum that they've got to get through. And you try to get counseling and all of that for the student, for the children. Uh, and... Uh, but I want to deal morally more with us in the church, how we respond to it. We must become much, much more sensitive and responsive to this issue in our children's churches, in our children's ministries. When you see this in the children, please, 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 children's workers, children's ministry teachers, children's leaders, please be become much more aware and sensitive to this and not just blow it off as, well, we just don't pray for the children and hope they get better. Mm -hmm. we, we really going to have to get on the ball with understanding what's happening with these kids. Um, and it doesn't help that we live in a world now that says the answer is to medicate them. Because the child's uh, uh, had, he now has psychomotor retardation. Um, he's slow. He or she is slow to grasp thoughts and concepts. They can't concentrate in school and all of that. And then, oh, so it's misdiagnosed yeah. as, as something yeah. <laughs> completely different. Yeah. When it could be, I won't say simply depression, but it's all of the crises. I've come across, I just saw another study today that uh, uh, where more and more people are admitting that inner city children are suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder because of the level of mm -hmm. violence that they are around all the time. That if I think it was statistics said as high as uh, 50 percent, 50, 60 percent of the children in inner cities are uh, suffering a stress disorder, whereas only 20 percent of soldiers in, in the military suffer it. Wow. So that tells you the level of warfare that our children are experiencing every day. And so we as the church, the body, the body of Christ, we must step up. We must step up for this one. Now, that's just the children. I ain't even got to the parents yet. I ain't even gotten to the parents who are dealing front line with, here I am now trying to take care of this child or these children in a world that hates uh, me because of my skin color, because of my gender, uh, because of my personality, you can get to the law, the list goes on and on. I'm just trying to hold on, hold my job, keep things going, and you're under a whole nother level of stress and fighting through many unknown, through all kinds of symptoms of depression. Because yes. you're just trying to hold on, and you don't have a choice. You, you can't quit. Right. You can't, 
you know, if you oversleep, you still you can't lay there. You you got to, to get up and now go imagine, and do what you have to do. And imagine the damage. I don't think it's a coincidence that so much uh, cancer mm -hmm. in adults and young adults today, because we've just we have to press and push on and go on, and it's destroying our our own bodies. And so that's where the the need for the body of Christ comes in. Of we're getting to the root, the roots of fear, the fear that I'm going to fail, I'm going to lose my job, uh, I won't be able to take care of my kids. See, that's where we come in. I'm dealing with the root of fear, not just simply I'm going to pray for you because you're having headaches and you can't sleep. No, what's the real root? Right. The real root is is you're afraid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like we talked about earlier, you're not believing God. Right. You're not believing God. You're trying to make it work out yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're not trusting God. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Bless the yeah. Lord. That's where, see, that's where we come in with the true message. Yes, a psychiatrist, a therapy will walk you through the healing process for your depression. But as the body of Christ, I'm going to get at you with your faith. Yes. <laughs> But I'm not going to nip at symptoms. Right. I'm not just going to pray about your symptoms. And too long we've done that. Right. Well, Lord, we just pray that you give them their appetite back. And, Lord, we just pray that you help them to be able to sleep through the night. Lord, we just pray their symptoms. All those are the symptoms of the depression. God wants us to get to the root. What's the real root? The real root is not believing God. I don't think it's a coincidence that our conversation started off that way tonight. The real root of this is you don't believe God anymore. You prayed, and the answer that he gave you wasn't the way you expected it, so now you don't trust him for tomorrow. So now we're going to pray about that. We're going to pray a prayer of repentance. Lord, I'm sorry for getting angry at you and, and start trusting myself instead of trusting you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it helps us as ready responders that even when people come to us and ask us for prayer, then we learn to ask these probing questions where it's just beyond. Um, I want you to pray. They'll come to you and say, Pastor Madeline, I want you to pray for I'm having headaches. Hmm. So the probing ready responder will say, tell me what's going on in your life. What's going on? Whereas... The old religious response would be, well, Lord, we just bind these headaches in the name of Jesus and we're just, no, 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 no. When, when those disciples who couldn't cast that demon out of that boy brought, when that man brought that boy to Jesus, first thing Jesus did, went to his father and said, how long has it been like this? See, the probing. Jesus had full intentions of healing the boy, but we're going to probe a little bit first. How long has this been going on? How long has he been like this? Why was he doing that? He was working on the father's faith. He saw a man who was exasperated. And even when he got to the point where he brought his boys to the, brought his boy to the people who's supposed to be close to Jesus, and they should be able to deal with this. And when they couldn't, imagine where that man's faith was by that time. Where I brought him to the people who supposed to help me. And even they couldn't help me. So just imagine where his faith was. That's why so many times, and I've seen it in myself, by the time I get to Jesus, I'm so disappointed from the failures of my efforts and other people, and even to the ones who I thought could help me and really should be able to help me, that by the time I even get to Jesus, I'm even questioning if whether He's going to really do it or not. That's where people are with God. Yes. I'm really questioning if whether He's really going to do it. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus starts probing. How long has this been? Man tells the story how long, you know, since he was a little boy, all of that. And the guy got it. That's why he ends up saying, Lord, do you believe me? Yeah, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. What was Jesus doing? Getting to the very root, showing us as ready responders how this is how we get to the root. And that way we don't have to be afraid 
of the symptoms. I think many times we're we're overwhelmed by the symptoms when we hear about the, the effects of depression, the behavior of depression. We're going to talk in a minute about the cognition of depression. I'm like, I don't know nothing about depression and grief, and I don't know how to be no counselor and no therapist, and I don't mem- I ain't even remember all these steps that you that of grief and all that. God don't, it ain't even for us to try to memorize all that and get all in depth and all that about that. The thing is, I know God. I know God. And now when I hear the Holy Spirit prompting me to ask these questions, here's the thing about it. The Holy Spirit will prompt us to ask people questions. And then we start thinking, yeah, but what if I don't know? What if I don't know how to respond to what they tell me? So you don't ask the question. So we don't ask the question. Because you're afraid. Because then we get into fear. (laughs) I'm afraid that if I ask them, Lord, what you're telling me to ask them, well, if I say to them, Lord, what you're telling me to say to them, that I'm going to end up in a position that I don't know what to do. Well, let's just start off from the beginning. I already don't know what okay. to do. Let's just start. Let's just start there. I really don't know what to do anyway. anyway. I'm just like Peter stepping out of the, on the water. Yes. But here's the difference. Lord, if you tell me, Peter yes. said, Lord, if you tell me to step out here. And then the Lord did. Peter, and empowered him. To and empowered work. him to do it. Yes. And that's all we're doing right. as ready responders. We're saying, Lord, if this is you, in this situation with this person, with this family, if this is you, you tell me. Right. You tell me what to say. You tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. And then we're stepping out and we do it. And I guarantee you, I can tell you, because whatever setting we've been in, whether we was at career link, in the women's shelter, standing in front of a congregation, sitting in this room, online, we don't know what to do. That would be the secret parentheses phrase for Chris and Carol Green. Chris and Carol Green, we don't know what to do. (laughs) Then have you been able to do what you've been able to do? Because we're just trying to follow the principle that Jesus taught us. I do only what I see my my father father doing doing. and I say only what I hear my father saying and so even when people say things and make requests of us and ask questions of us uh, that we never had before never heard before then we are quick to go okay Lord what 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 do we say (laughs) (laughs) and I will not pretend and make up answers when I don't know and nor am I going to yank scriptures out of context Mm -hmm. And throw it at people when I don't know. And for too long that has happened here in Harrisburg and cities across this country where uh, whether it's a pastor, an educator, doesn't make any difference, politician, we throw out stuff when we don't know. Failing to understand that those people are going to do that. They're going to rest their life on what you said. You could add further to their ruin. You, you add further to their ruin. Cause more harm. Yeah. Pulling scripture out of context, saying traditional phrases, and just, you know, pulling a rabbit out of your hat uh, so that you can look like you know what you're talking about. So that you don't lose face. Meanwhile, they're going to lay their life's weight on what you said. And so we carry a great responsibility in this. We have said we don't know. Yeah. We will. We will pray. Yeah. Give us. Give us a. T- we'll set a t- time period. We'll get back to you. You'll get back. But let us. Let us look this up in the Word. Let us seek God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And we'll get back to you. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't. I don't feel any sense of embarrassment by saying I don't know. No. Okay. But there's always somebody that knows more than me, at a higher level than me. And in fact, there's a lot of times that is when we even say we're going to look it up. We have, be, we have a library. We'll we'll library. Go through our library. Of we'll people who know more than me. Yeah. Go through our library. <laughs> have more experience. Yeah. Yes. And we're going to find out from them. Not a problem at all. Amen. And it's okay to say, I don't know. Yes, Even I say this uh, to in uh, both in the room and anybody that might be watching. Even when parents bring their kids yes. to us or. Someone wants to talk to you about their spouse, and they, once they get through with their story, you are clueless, and you don't know what to do because you ain't never even been have, through that situation, through, dealt with that situation. It is okay to say, "Let's just pray," and the first thing you do is pray in the spirit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Don't respond to all of the symptoms that they right, just gave you. Right, right. Pray in the spirit before you say anything as you're praying for them. First, pray in tongues. That's what I mean by pray in the spirit. Pray in tongues, pray in the spirit, and let the Lord give you. It may not be, uh, it may not be anything that seemingly has to do with what they told you, right. but you pray what he gives you. You absolutely do that. I've had that. That's why I mentioned that. I've had people come up and say, I want you to pray for uh, me. I had a headache. I remember one time I had someone praying praying for someone at the altar in the ministry at the church. And he said they had a headache and all of that. And I, the Lord kept bringing this thought, there's somebody they need to forgive. And I didn't really want to say that. <laughs> I just want to pray for the headache. <laughs> and finally, I gave in to the Holy Spirit and said, I keep wanting to pray for you, but I keep hearing the Holy Spirit say, There's somebody you need to forgive. Now, this is one of those times it was not a good response. They stiffened up. Uh, well, they already knew who they needed to forgive and didn't want to still. They didn't want to. That time at the altar didn't go well. They. I couldn't go any further, and they didn't want to go any further because the Holy Spirit went to the root. Yes, yes. The root of what's going on with you physically is unforgiveness. And so that's why that's so important that God's helping and training us uh, to get to the, to root, be, of to the root of it. Next one uh, cognition, um, which is depression that impacts your thinking. A person may have difficulty in concentrating. Uh, they may have negative thoughts about themselves, <laughs> um, about the world, yeah. about the future, about God, about their <laughs> parents, about their their employer. Yeah. It yeah. could, yeah. Right. They they'll have negative thoughts. And and I'll say this as again I'm really on the children thing tonight. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe you know, just personally. Isn't scriptural, but I believe that a whole lot of what we're looking at with these suicides as a result of bullying is connected with this. Yeah, negative uh, with the uh, with uh, kids who are already depressed, right. and when you combine the depression that's on them with oppression, with oppression from the outside, they already got something going on internally. Now you take this outside thing, oppression, like bullying. They already are struggling with negative thoughts. They're already struggling with faulty thinking, which we're going to talk about in just a minute here. And it simply uh, triggers something that they've been thinking about right. anyway. anyway. So the enemy will send along someone to reinforce, to reinforce the, the negative thinking. Thoughts that, he's been, that they've been struggling with anyway. Yeah. Going to continue. Okay. The next one is distorted thinking. Um, so you're thinking of, you're you're looking at the issue, yeah. but you're not really, um, I, I, um, looking at it correctly. Yeah. Um, which we'll come back to that later. Right. Because that's, yeah. we've got a whole list of, of uh, faulty thinking. Uh, what distorted types. thinking is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we won't stop there, or we won't go any further. <laughs> right. Uh, and then the causes of depression. And causes we'll of depression are loss of ish, loss issues, uh, death of a loved one, uh, friendship losses, um, and those are dear friends. Those are people you thought would be with you for the rest of your life. Those kind of friends. Uh, loss of a job. Uh, loss of your dream job or, or the job that you think will help you get to your dream <laughs> job. Um, or the loss of a lifestyle or lifestyle transition. Um, you had this way that you wanted to live. You wanted. You had this house. You had the car, the neighborhood, <laughs> and something causes you to and lose it. We've lived. We have we lived that. We have lived that. We have lived that. <laughs> As a young couple living in the suburbs in St. Louis, a suburb that was right next to Ferguson. We actually lived in Ferguson as well, um, and. We were on our way. We Seriously. were climbing up the ladder house, of the American dream. Two cars. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> and uh, we found out how fragile that thing is. Carol's job came to an end, yeah. and that was I it. Laid off. That was it, buddy. <laughs> and so, talk about being thrown into depression. Woo! <laughs> uh, 
Okay, and uh, loss of self-esteem. Yeah. Um, and in anything can cause that. It just depends yeah. on the person um, that causes you to to see yourself less. Yeah. Um, to see you to lessen your value. Yeah. Because that's part of the loss issues, the loss of uh, of a marriage. Yeah. Uh, it does affect absolutely oh, your self-esteem, the yeah. way you see yourself. Yeah. Absolutely does. And especially if you had a spouse that's male or female, because we've been on both sides, mm -hmm. uh, of a completely insensitive, selfish mm -hmm. spouse, oh, yeah. man or woman. Self-centered. Self-centered narcissist. Can't see anything outside of themselves. Even, even the breakup of the marriage was what you did to them. They still tell people to this day that, and not just not just simply it was your fault, but they refer to it as in such a way that it, the, how all the damage that it has done to them as a result of this marriage not working. It's all about as them. if they had no they, they had part in it, it, no fault in they it, and undo it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Moving on causes of depression. <laughs> Another um, cause of depression is stress, stress issues, yes. which we've talked about. Yeah. Uh, but I like these definitions. Where yes. uh, stress issues, I like this. Where there's just too, too many things many to do things. each day. I have lived this. Oh yes. Oh my God, and many of us have. Where each day you wake up, there is not enough hours in the day to get all the things that are on your list daily. <laughs> and after a while, really, you mentally and emotionally cannot function like that yeah. for extended periods of time like we, of course there are seasons yeah. like that for everybody yeah. but for it to be year in yeah. and year out where every day you've got 25 hours worth of work to get done in eight mm -hmm. and it's not like it ends because what don't get done today just simply Still carries over to tomorrow and attitude so the, the it just piles up yeah it never comes to an end. I remember one of our intense fellowship times. <laughs> uh, I was explaining that to my wife. Not that she didn't she didn't understand, but it wasn't something that she could relate to because she didn't live in that necessarily mm -hmm. the way I did. Mm -hmm. My wife is kind of a once she leaves work and it's comes over. home, oh, it's at work. It's at work. I don't bring it home. <laughs> I wish I had that, <laughs> but that was her. She could do that. Even with all the stuff piled up at work, she could still work is work. Me, I bring it home. It's still piled up. It's in my head, and therefore I wasn't sleeping or sleeping off and on through the night, all of that. I was doing all of this. And he had stopped eating. Yep. Because yeah. that's how, that's that how stress yeah. affects him. He got to the point where he was... She, she said I was shaking, shaking, and she called the family. She called my brothers and sisters, called my parents. I sure did. She called an intervention he on me. He was not listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't eating, and he wouldn't listen to me. He wasn't yeah. taking care of himself. Yeah. If he just did that, I might not have. I was, I was down to uh, 155 pounds. 6'2", 155. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I and, was, and his hair was falling out. Yeah. And I didn't have no idea as to how thin I was until today when I go back and look, look at, at videos pictures. and pictures uh, when I was pastoring in St. Louis. And I had no idea. I thought it was okay to be a grown man with a 28-size with a waist. She looks at me to this day and said, no, maybe you're supposed to have been 34, 36, you know, ways, not 28. That's a teenager. And I didn't realize it until my teenage sons, when they were, you know, 17, 18 years old, and they had 28-inch waist. I'm like, how was that thin? How was that thin? So, yeah. Um, and pressure at home. Or at work. Or at work, yeah. yeah. So Stress we, issues. We covered that. Yeah. yeah, we did everything there. And then another, then very important one, and then we'll stop for tonight. Body chemistry and physical causes. Research has indicated that some depressions can be the result of a chemical imbalance in the brain. Very important. Yeah. Very, very important. 
So it's not just something you just get over. Yeah, there really can be. And that's one of those things that I know there's debate back and forth. In other words, did the stress cause the, in chemi the chemical imbalance or did the chemical imbalance cause, cause the, the depression? I mean, uh, did, you know, I mean, not the stress. Yeah, did depression cause the imbalance, the imbalance or did the imbalance cause the depression? And that's always been an ongoing battle back and forth. But the issue is for those where there is a chemical imbalance, rather it's the, you know, the chicken or the egg, whichever one right. came first, the issue is it's there. Right. And especially among us as African Americans, we really struggle when it comes to mental health discussion. Yes. We really, really do. And don't want nobody to know that I'm taking medication because of a mental health issue. Yeah. It's, Depression it's, is a mental health issue. It is not a character flaw. Right. Somehow we've connected it to being a... Being crazy, being, being a yeah, nut. Yeah. Being somebody who needs to be in a in one of those jackets that ties in the yeah. back. Yeah. But it is real. It's That's real. what I meant by it's real. Um, and I, one of these uh, times that we gather, you guys watching online won't get to see this, but I'm going to play for you uh, a gentleman who gives a very a wonderful in-depth study that talks about the physiology of the brain yes. and how the chemicals are supposed to work yeah. and what what happens in when, when they don't work properly. when they don't work properly. Because when you understand that, then you won't feel funny about taking medicine right. to deal with the chemicals in your brain because that's the same thing as whatever di other disease that's going on in other parts of your body. Yes. Again, it, this is a renewing of your mind yeah. and it's, it's being, truth is coming yeah. to us, to a, to an issue that we have dealt with in our community that has, and it's always been dealt with very badly yeah. and from a, the wrong Family tradition. Family, we've called it in our families, we've called it somebody is crazy, and yeah. in the church we said it was demon possessed. Yeah. So, <laughs> and uh, I say it to you this way, just like we would have, we have no problem uh, when doctors, doctors recommend certain, give a certain prescriptions right. to deal with other diseases oh. in our body. Or imbalances it's, in or our body. Or imbalances in our body. It's no different when it's the brain. Right. It's still physiological. Yes. And they say, why are you having these crazy right. thoughts? Because these chemicals are out of balance right. in your brain. Right. And so we struggle with what's happening with our thoughts. Yes. Because to us, thoughts is a very spiritual thing. And so we don't understand that if things are out of balance. Chemically. Chemically. That affects our thoughts yeah. too. Yeah. That's why certain medications that we receive, you've, probably, you've seen the side effects list that they've given us and it says, this medication causes suicidal thoughts. Yeah, you tendencies. Go, how, can, yeah. how can a, a prescription mm -hmm. cause me to have those kinds of thoughts? Because mm -hmm. it's affecting the, the balance of yeah. the chemicals in your brain. The glands that release those chemicals yeah. Yeah, in your brain. Yeah. yeah. And so all I'm saying is we, got to stop treating this subject as taboo. Right. We don't talk about this. It's a misperception. It's a yeah. huge yeah. misperception. Yeah. Because for the church of the 21st century, we have got to deal with the issues of mental health. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we got to deal with it beyond mm -hmm. just simply saying, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. I bind that demon of depression. No, we got some people, we're going to have to tell them, you need to take your medication. And it's okay. There's you, nothing wrong. There's with nothing you. wrong with you taking your medication. Take it, because here's one of the things this gentleman brought up. Uh, a lot of what we're trying to even help people to understand biblically. First of all, we got to get them in a place where mentally they can even receive what we're trying to teach them. Yes. So take your medication, and while you're taking your medication, I will bring to you the truths yeah. of faith and reliance upon Jesus yes. to heal you. Yes. But right now, while they're not taking their medication, they don't have the cognitive ability right, right. to even receive right. the word of God. Right. Yeah. So, view, <laughs> so view the medication as a tutor. It's a tutor. 
Yeah. They first of all be got to be able to receive it. They got to get stable enough so that when I am teaching, when we are preaching, that they can actually hear it, process it, receive it. So that when the Holy Spirit wants to reason with them through our teaching and preaching, they can actually receive it. And they're not sitting there feeling paranoid. Right, these people. right, right. Because they're sitting in our churches right now. And yeah. I want you to know some of the behaviors we've been looking at in churches that haven't been demons. It's been brains in, that, are not in, that are out of balance. Glands that are not working properly. Yeah. yeah. Really the truth. We had a one sister in our church. She was dealing with narcolepsy. Mm -hmm. And so she would sit in the service and fall asleep. Now, because she had told us that that's what she's dealing with, I wasn't sitting there being insulted that she's falling asleep while I'm preaching. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real issue. And of course is. we pray for her. Sure. Of course we pray concerning the narcolepsy, but in addition with the narc with the prayer, we told her, encouraged her, keep taking your medication and keep, and, coming. And keep coming. Because here's the reason. Reason why keep keep taking your medication and keep coming because whatever word that is eventually going to come into her life that will bring her to the place of acceptance and receiving of her healing, we're just part of the process. And we haven't failed in the, because we're telling her, keep taking your medication and keep coming. The problem comes when we tell people to, tell people, just come off that medication and trust the Lord. No, no, no. no if Jesus did not tell you to do that, yeah, please, please don't do that. Don't, don't. Amen. No, let them take their, their stuff and let them take what we've got for them too. Bless the Lord. Amen. Uh, the second one is life events such as illness may be linked to depression. Yeah. Uh, especially where people have long-term illness where they have a prognosis of death connected to the disease that they're dealing Y'all know. That's going to bring on depression. Somebody, doctor tells you, you only got six months to live, a year to live, a few weeks to live. That's going to be, because again, it's a loss. Remember, it's loss. And loss is one of the triggers of depression. Not, even, not just long-term illness. You are, now you're having to take a medication every day where you are not used to taking medication yeah. every day. <laughs> now you have to, for your health's sake, that can be depressing. That is, a, that is depressing. You're right. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, even if it's not a bad diagnosis for death. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Just, I've got the ailments or whatever it is that I have to, now I've got to shift my life yeah. and remember to take these medications yeah. at this times and these days. And Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, hormonal deficiencies have been noted to influence mood Excellent and point. overall functioning. I am a witness. <laughs> and that's both men and women it you is. know uh, I'm not trying to be crude or anything but no. but menopause I didn't know anything about male menopause right. it's real it I didn't real. know they don't talk about it but it is real <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea here I am here I was all anticipating right. and worried about Please. my wife and all the y'all know all the Strange tales they talk about with women. Nobody right. said nothing about men. I know nothing about men have night sweats, mood changes, yeah. all the rest. It's just like, what's happening to you? This is supposed to be me. <laughs> <laughs> Along with the all the expectation, thought we'd be in certain places by the time sure. I was forty-five. By the um, time I'm fifty years old, the expectation. Oh my yeah. lord! I thought life would be a whole lot down the road further than this. Yeah. And all of that is part of what triggers this. Yeah. And so that's why I said, to me, there are millions of people sitting in churches yes. in various stages or levels of depression, grief and depression. And all we're saying is we believe that the Lord wants us as ready responders mm -hmm. to be much more wise yes. in our responses, in to, our responses people. to people. Just a lot more wise and a lot more, not just sensitive to the people, but being right. sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Yes. Because That's I personally true. believe that he has been giving us words strategy. and strategy, but we, but because we didn't understand what we just shared with you tonight, right. we brushed it off. 
because it didn't feel like this has nothing to do, do with, with what I'm dealing with, with here. what this person just told me. Yeah. So, Lord, why are you telling me to? Because y'all know how we have these flash, quick right. thoughts. Well, just say this or just do this. And you're like, well, what they got to do with it? So you brush it off. But now with this better understanding of grief and loss and depression and people's process, now we're going to hear the We're going to hear them. We're going to definitely hear the Holy Spirit and say, oh, okay. And even though I don't know, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a counselor, uh, I'm not a doctor, uh, I don't have to be. Uh, but I can be a vessel. Right. And so we share all of that to say, just be a vessel. Yeah. Be a vessel. Bless the Lord. Thank you, Lord. God bless. Come on, bless the Lord tonight. Thank you. Thank you.